I didn't know. How could I not have known Anne-Marie? And I can't comfort him. He has these episodes where he crawls under the bed and shakes. I see his eyes and it's like he's not even there. I can't reach him. I can't snap him out of it. I can't hold my baby and make it better. It doesn't help. I sit there on the floor while he hides under the bed. What can I do? I'm Anne-Marie, the Soulful Therapist. There are natural, gentle ways to heal, discover yourself and find meaning in the world. Let me introduce you to them. I'm a psychotherapist, past life therapist, clinical hypnotherapist, master knitter, Reiki master, teacher, author and seer. I specialise in trauma, helping young people and spiritual development. Shall we begin? In last week's episode, Rising from the Ashes, I described my work with a young person who suffered severe sexual child abuse. Child sexual abuse is a difficult topic for us to consider. And while we're more aware than ever before, the reported statistics are still unacceptable. For every reported incident, there are many, many more incidences that go unreported or are excluded from the official statistics. The purpose of last episode was to broach the veil of silence around child sexual abuse. Victims are hurt by silence. Healing begins when we acknowledge that abuse has occurred and it should never have happened. Predators benefit from silence and ignorance. The research is clear when we are educated as a community about what predatory behaviour is. We are no longer vulnerable. Our children are no longer vulnerable, and so the predators move out of our community. The sad thing is that they then seek out communities who don't know what they're looking at and continue victimising children. For this reason, child sexual abuse is a global issue. And so the goal for us as a global community is to be educated and aware. A lot of work has been done in the past 20 years by law enforcement agencies around the world cooperating to identify and stop the abuse of children. It's a joint effort. We also need to keep our eyes open in our own backyard to keep the children safe. And it scares us. The purpose of this week's episode is to look that fear dead in the face and to create a mental checklist by which we can evaluate people's behaviour against known strategies used by pedophiles to groom parents and children. We'll also hear a story of a heroic endeavour of how a mother's love and a child's pain moved a whole community to joint action. Please take good care of yourself. If you've been disturbed by the episode today or last week, please reach out to your GP or local mental health crisis service. In Australia, you can contact Lifeline online or on the phone. And if you're thinking about suicide, seek help immediately by calling 13 11 14 Kids Helpline is 1800 1800 and Q Life is open from 3pm till midnight on 1800 184 527. If you or someone close to you is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, just dial triple zero. If you believe a child is in danger, don't wait. Seek advice from the Child Abuse Report Line on 13 14 78 or call your local police station. You know yourself best. 
So turn off now if that's what's best for you. And if you think I can be of assistance, book in to see me for a video chat or a therapy session via my website, annemariemcglasson.com, or by calling 0438 234 The fact that there exists within our community people who victimise children scares us. It scares us so much we can't even think about it. Denial is a normal human reaction to information we just can't stomach. But we know it's there. We know people who do this. We see it in the newscasts. Sometimes we know them or are related to them. We all know a survivor, whether they identify themselves or not. Child sexual abuse is that common. The shadow exists and it thrives when we turn our attention away from its existence, when we refuse to see it because we are scared. In the past week, I've had conversations with parents who are deeply concerned. One mother of a preschooler declared, My daughter is never going out of my sight. She is never going to family daycare an environment she had identified as high risk. She's never going anywhere without me. Of course, this strategy works while her daughter is three, but it's going to be way less effective at 14. One dad admitted, what some people are capable of gives me nightmares. I don't know what I can do except cross my fingers that no one like that comes our way. With brave insight, another mum said, I am terrified. I have no faith in my ability to identify who is safe and who is unsafe around my child. I have no confidence in my ability to keep him safe. What if I get it wrong? He could get abused like I did. And that's why we're going to do this episode, to give you the knowledge, to give you your power back. You can identify pedophile strategies, you can create a mental checklist, and you can tick off clusters of behaviour, and you can take action to keep your child safe. But if you get it wrong, and don't acknowledge the possibility of child sexual abuse when your instincts are warning you, the worst thing that happens is your child's life purpose and your family trajectory is overtaken by the imperative to heal deep woundedness. I provided counselling support for these parents and almost without exception they said to me, I wish I could turn the clock back. I knew something was wrong and I wish I had listened to my instincts. I could see how raw her emotions were. I could not imagine what it was like to have arms aching to comfort a child who did not find safety in a mother's touch. I hurt with her. I am distraught and beyond furious that this has happened to him. He struggles every day. Our family struggles every day. Our faith in humanity has been completely broken and that's not right. My child has been hurt in the worst possible way. He will never be the same. My husband is hiding in the shed and won't talk about it. He's scared to hug his own son because of what someone else has done. If we knew what we were looking at in the beginning, it could never have happened, but we didn't know, we didn't know. 
We're such a close-knit, safe community. We thought the children were safe. We thought they were safe with this man. An upstanding member of the community, always helping everyone. We thought he was so community-minded, but he was just finding ways to abuse our children. He tricked us. We had him in our home, Anne-Marie. We shared meals with him. What must my son have thought? He didn't tell me. Why didn't he tell me? This must never happen again. I will not let this happen to another child in our community. I will not rest. What can we do? Help me, Amory. Help me find a way to stop this from happening to any other child. Talk about a challenge. I was a counsellor, not a community development worker, not my area, not my field, and I couldn't walk away from her. Who did I know? Who could help us? I was the only worker in the state providing counselling and support for non-offending family members of children who had been sexually abused. When I was given the job and I asked the boss what she wanted me to do, she said, don't burn out. The funding had come across from another agency who'd burned out three workers, vicarious traumatisation and compassion fatigue from caring too much. I knew the risks of crossing the line and I still couldn't walk away. The pain of this mother's empty arms deserved something. She was seeking a mission, a way to be powerful and effective and make a difference when her love could not reach her son. I was a member of a statewide interagency group for workers dealing with sexual violence. I called a friend. Call Frida, she said. Frida? You mean Frida Briggs? The Frida Briggs, I said. But she's a professor. She's important. She has conversations with the Prime Minister. She goes overseas to consult with international governments about their child protection policies. Is she going to be interested in one child and one mother and one small community? Call Frida, she repeated, and gave me her home number. I sat there numbly looking at the number I just scribbled down. I couldn't get my head around it. How humble workers at the coalface of healing child sexual abuse had the home number of this preeminent world-leading researcher and child advocate. It took me a day or two to work up the courage to call her. Yes, Frida said in her brisk, practical fashion, we can do something about that. Come to my book launch of my new book, Teaching Children to Protect Themselves. You come, get a book. It has solutions. And it did. It was a humbling experience going to Frida's book launch. She'd written a book in order to help children and help parents. She had a young woman in her teens talking about her experience of being abused and healing. And she had the book. I walked away with this book, hoping that within its pages were going to be a mission, something to do, something I could give this mother to hold on to so that she could continue to be brave and calm and that safe platform for her son. Some books are worth reading and rereading. Some books are worthwhile getting out 10 years later and reminding people of what's within its pages. And this is the gift that I'm offering you today. There are two pages in this book that I photocopied over and over and over and gave out to every parent that came my way. 
and I'd like to read you and share with you these two pages today. We have strategies here for keeping your children safe, and you can replay this episode as many times as you like. Make notes, think about it, share it with other parents, help make your communities safer. The strategies I'm about to share are strategies that Frida discovered by interviewing child sex offenders in prison. This incredible woman, not only did she help and heal victims, not only did she guide and mentor workers in the field, she was also ballsy enough to go into the prisons, sit with these deeply damaged people, these predatory people, and say, tell us how to keep our children safe from you. And even more surprisingly, they did. They shared the strategies so that we can know and keep the children safe. So reading now from this amazing book. Offenders interviewed have suggested that safety messages should start from the age of three and continue until the age of 16. They said that parents and teachers should give and reinforce these messages. Offenders emphasised that children need information about their bodies. Boys need to know about circumcision, erections and ejaculation long before they reach adolescence. That would reduce pedophiles' attractiveness as boys' first sex educators. Children with disabilities should be given sexuality education. They are vulnerable because they're ignorant. Children also needed to be told quite clearly that not everyone is trustworthy. A child molester is often the last person you would suspect. In addition to these facts, offenders advised that children should be taught the following strategies and behaviours. Avoid secluded remote places. They place themselves at risk by playing in deserted stairways, playgrounds or streets, and they should not play hide-and-seek where they hide alone. Escape and tell if someone tries to trick them or make strange suggestions or talk about sexual things. Escape and tell if someone touches or brushes up against the private parts of their bodies, accidentally on purpose. That is, pretending that it's an accident. Offenders watch reactions, and if there is no display of annoyance, they assume compliance. Make up a fib and get away to tell a neighbour if a babysitter tries or suggests anything improper. An offender says, children always fall for the idea that you will let them stay up late. If they play a secret game with you, parents should tell kids that if the babysitter tries to do them a special favour, they should not be fooled. Go out only with other children, an offender says. I never approach children in groups. There are plenty of children on their own. It just isn't worth the risk when there are several kids together because you can't control them all. Be wary of public toilets and never go into them alone, an offender says. A great place for molesters to hang out is in a toilet in a hamburger restaurant. Little boys go into the toilets alone and they aren't expecting someone to touch them. Most of the time they're too embarrassed even to shout. I'd teach kids to run out of the toilets yelling the minute anyone tries to help them zip up or touch them. Walk to school with other people. An offender says, the best time of the day to get at children is when they're walking home from school alone. Never to accept lifts from people they know as well as people they don't know or talk to anyone who comes up to them. 
an offender says, children are so trusting, a good way to approach them is to ask for the time. It seems innocent enough, but once you get them into conversation, it's hard for them to get away. If you look respectable, they figure you can't be a nasty stranger. Knock on the door of a nearby house if they are being followed. An offender says, This really put me off when I was following a child. That child didn't get abused. Children should always tell parents where they are going. Tell and keep on telling if anyone, including a relative, is abusing them. An offender says, Don't pretend that nothing is happening or hide it from everyone, because it will only get worse. That's what happened to me. Tell a friend. An offender says, Sometimes kids don't have a grown-up to trust, so they can have their friend come with them to tell a teacher, or a school counsellor, or someone else. Be especially wary if a man on his own approaches them. And this is based on the information that 93% of abusers operate alone. Offenders advise parents to know and keep in mind these facts. Overloving or affectionate people are potentially dangerous. Abuse can begin gently and subtly and escalate over a period of time, so children need to be prompted to get help early. Even family members and friends could ask their children to do something sexual. An offender says, Parents are so naive. They're worried about strangers and should be worried about their brothers-in-law. They just don't realise how devious we can be. I used to abuse children in the same room as their parents and they couldn't see it or didn't seem to know it was happening. Offenders will use any way they can to get to children. An offender says, I am disabled and spent months grooming the parents so they would tell their children to take me out and help me. No one thought that disabled people could be child abusers. Children hold adults in high esteem and will do what they say. An offender says, Don't teach your kids to do everything that adults tell them, otherwise they'll be too frightened of adult status to protect themselves. It's a dangerous age when children approach puberty and might be sexually curious. An offender says, I use that curiosity to trap them into sex. Single parent families are commonly targeted by pedophiles. The mothers are stressed, overworked and are often very grateful for someone taking children out for a while, telling themselves, that the children need a male influence. Children can be abused anywhere, in church, at school, in the sports, changing room, in the doctor's surgery. An offender says, mothers can't supervise them all the time. That's why they need to give kids information. In addition, offenders advise parents to undertake the following preventative measures. Keep a close eye on children and boys in particular at sporting events, swimming pools, in school holidays, beach toilets, shops for stamp collectors, camps and other venues frequented by children. Be suspicious if an adult seems more interested in their children than in them. An offender says, Watch out for someone who offers to take your children on holiday or who tells you to take a break or have a night out while they watch your kids. Why would a man want to hang around your children? Teach children that they should never keep secrets or feel that they are to blame if they are abused. An offender says, secrecy and blame were my best weapons. Most kids worry that they are to blame for the abuse and that they should keep it secret. 
teach children about the different parts of the body and right and wrong touches. An offender says, parents are partly to blame if they don't tell children about these things, sexual matters. I used it to my advantage by teaching the child myself. Have family discussions about preventing child abuse. An offender says, parents shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about things like that. It's harder to abuse or trick a child who knows what you're up to. Tell children about their rights and that if the child is uncomfortable with someone, they don't have to be with him or her. Be aware of children's behaviour changing, an offender says. Notice if your child becomes different or seems to feel bad or is withdrawn. Ask why. Examine small children for physical signs of abuse. Don't be too hard on children. An offender says, kids who felt unloved or were not appreciated were easiest to victimise. They needed the love I gave them. Boys need physical affection from both parents. Offenders also suggested these strategies for teachers as well. Use prevention programs for all children from a very young age. An offender says, in the same way that we groom children from a young age to be victims, schools should groom them to tell automatically. Have children role play what to do. An offender says, it's no good just lecturing to kids. They probably aren't paying attention. Get them to run and yell so they'll do it automatically. Go on courses to learn about the signs of abuse. An offender says, teachers think children are just messing them around when they're really crying out for help. I cried for help and no one saw it. In the past, people didn't want to know and didn't have the experience to know what kids were going through. Now, there's no excuse. Make sure that child protection programs don't concentrate on dangerous stranger stereotypes. An offender said, children never considered me to be a stranger if I dressed all right and seemed nice. Stereotyping people as bad, mean strangers makes kids more at risk from people like me. Have discussions in school to prompt children to tell. An offender said, kids who are being abused sometimes need to tell someone outside the family, such as a teacher or a nurse. Believe children who say that abuse is happening. An offender says, children need to feel confident that someone will do something before they will tell. Have advertisements in school about being safe. An offender says, the abuse is happening anyway. It should be publicised. And lastly, teach sexuality education. An offender said, make sure that older children have sexual education, which makes them aware of the emotional and physical side of sexuality. That's a big, big, long list. And I thank you for sitting through that. And some of those things may have been actually a little bit difficult and uncomfortable to listen through. This, just these two pages, uh, while I was working in this field, was the most important thing that I could actually give parents for providing safety for their children and for their community. So I hope you get the value out of it that my previous clients have. So I'm going to put a link to this book uh, in my show notes. Also, the other thing that uh, parents frequently get hung up on is what is normal? Um, children are sexual beings because adults are sexual beings. You know, it's all the one, the one animal, really. 
Um, and there are some notes. I am a child safe environment educator as well. If you would like more education on, on these particular matters, um, I can certainly help you with that. But there is a page in my trainer's manual about what is normal for children, uh, sexual curiosity, and, and what are signs of a child that's been sexually abused. And I will put a link to that information as well in the show notes. When I shared the information from this book with this beautiful, heartbroken mother, she was completely energised. Not only in this book are these two pages that I particularly value, but there was also an outline for a community education program. She saw this and she just took off. Before I knew it, she had rallied a dozen mums in her area who were also deeply concerned about the impact that this one particular individual had had on their community. This group of women then communicated with all the other parents in the community. And before you knew it, we were running a child sexual abuse education program for parents at the local kindy and preschool. It was a packed night. It was emotional. There was a lot of emotional sharing. People had an opportunity to share their fears and their concerns and their worries. And this mother who was so brave, so, so brave, she opened up her heart and told her story and talked about her son's struggle and the family's struggle. And we then gave every parent that came the information they needed to be able to identify predatory strategies and make decisions about keeping children safe. It was an incredible evening and I must give absolute credit to not only this mother but also uh, the director of this particular educational institution who was not scared and responded to the community request and opened up the doors of their establishment so that we had such an incredible and educational evening. And that's not the end of the story, folks. The following day, I called Frida. I said, Frida, we did it. And she said, what did you do? I said, well, your community education program, where you outlined in your book how we go about talking parents through their fears, and we give them the tools, and we talk about the strategies, and we give them back their power to keep the children safe. We did it, we followed your framework, we put it into place and it's worked absolutely beautifully. And she said, well, that deserves a bit of a celebration. I think you better come to my place for afternoon tea. So the surreal part of this is that as a worker at the coalface, so often you're working at the hard end of the work, um, supporting often mums, trying to encourage dads out the back shed and just supporting and loving and helping uh, people be stronger so that the children can start that transformational journey of healing. And there's not often, well not for a while anyway, high points, but this was a high point. These women in this community, these dozen or so women who had spearheaded this community campaign for education and awareness and uh, you know everybody keeping their eyes open, all got in, I think they, they managed to get in about three or four cars and they trekked for two hours after arranging after school care for all the children, 
trekked for two hours to go to Frida's house and she welcomed us with open arms and floral teacups. And we had the most incredible afternoon tea talking about how that particular evening had gone and how beneficial it had been. And it was such a healing, healing time. There is so much that we can do. When we close our eyes and we don't speak about child sexual abuse, we are allowing people who don't deserve it the opportunity to interact with our children because we are scared. And the fear is completely understandable. But fear will always be remediated with information and with knowledge and with a way to act. So this episode really is dedicated towards that beautiful mother who took that strength, who galvanised a community and who made a difference. No one was ever going to victimise the children in that community again. And in this way, she and the other mothers in the area have really been role models for us. We can do this too. We can be educated. We can be strong and we can keep the children safe. Thank you for joining me this week. Uh, this is a difficult, difficult topic. It takes some courage to listen and to consider and to think our way through these things. This has been a part of a series of three. Last week we were talking about the impact of child sexual abuse on someone and giving you a little insight into a clinic session, you know, an introductory and first initial session with someone. And this week we've looked at community development and we've looked at some of the things that we can do. There comes a point in everyone's journey if they are a survivor of child sexual abuse where they consider what is forgiveness and is it necessary? And it's a difficult, difficult place to arrive at and it's a difficult place to get their head around. It is also deeply, deeply transformational. And that's what we're going to look at next week. You can always support the show if you'd like at Patreon. This is how it all comes together. So if you've got questions, uh, you can always contact me directly. I'm now doing video chats so we can spend that time together if you'd like. The website is Mcglasson. Dot com. If you do Google the Soulful Therapist, if you scroll a little bit, you will find that website just in case you can't spell my name. So thanks very much for your time today. Stay subscribed and we'll talk soon. See you next time.